Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode will be devoted to the action films of 1990. Uh, by that I mean four specifically, because uh, we can't do all of them. I'm on this side, Rob's on that side. Hey, how's it going everybody? We went through a long list. It's been a little bit since we've done an episode. I think it was August is when we did 1989. And, uh, yeah. I was trying to hold out to the next year because I have my main co-host. Uh, he works massive amount of holiday hours because he works for a wine vendor. So I was kind of holding up, but we caught up. So we're back into 1990. Uh, what what movies did we offer up to the action gods that failed? Let's see. There's Firebirds. Oh, yeah. Uh, I feel like there's a couple others in there that I was bored by. that We just kept going through the list. Like, nope, no. Oh, Angel Town. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, so, we tried to do Angel Town, and it was like, no. Yeah. Um, I, I, Nemesis. I, I, actually, I'm, I'm going to give you the argument right now that uh, his best movies came after Nemesis. Uh, I really like Automatic and The Fighter. Yeah. Mercenary's good, too. Um, but we'll get eventually to the world of Olivia Gruner. Uh, but for now, we're going to be discussing Another 48 Hours, Blind Fury, Death Warrant, and Navy Seals. And uh, it, it took a while to get to... I even watched a couple. Boy, fucking Firebirds? What the hell was I thinking? I, the Top Gun ripoff with nothing that happens until the last 20 minutes. <laughs> Not really an action yeah. movie. Um, but our first film, Another 48 Hours, uh, Blasphemy, I prefer it to the first one. Oh, no. The, we, we, we will be blasphemous together because I absolutely prefer it to the first one as well. It's, it's not just the budgetary action stuff. I don't have to hate Nick Nolte for saying a certain word. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I think it's more complicated. The whole conspiracy web uh, is uh, is really interesting. Andrew Devoff for the fucking gold medal in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually have a friend, uh, Erica Wright, who um, is one of my fellow panel members on um, the House That Screams, and she's actually a very good friend of Andrew uh, Devoff. And um, I asked her if. When the next time she talks to him, because she asked him for me, how how rough was his voice, uh, his vocal cords afterwards for all the fucking screaming he does in this movie? Yeah, it's it's almost like uh, what's that thing in Sharky's Machine where Henry Silva has to scream before he shoots? I felt like a little bit of that was going like he needed this intense adrenaline rush to you know then open fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, Andrew Devolf screams every line in this movie. <laughs> um, the thing that bothers me about this movie is that there's a whole different cut. And yes. I will say this, as much as I enjoy Another 48 Hours more than the first one, there is some stuff I feel is definitely chopped up and left on the, bo the floor because just telling the story of how all these people are, are linked feels like it's muddy. And I had to go back and like, wait, okay, so he's after him for this and he's after him for that. And this person, you know, I felt like they chopped out a bunch of exposition. And I, apparently Brian James's role got chopped to bits. Yeah. We, he was he was really pissed about that, too, because he felt like it was some of his best work that he did. And it, it, it almost got all left on the cutting room floor, which he was very unhappy about. Yeah, this is a, kind of a cash-in. For a lot of them, uh, they're all coming off of a few flops. Walter Hill definitely was hurting for a while. I feel like he hadn't had a hit since Brewster's Millions. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy was smarting from the flop of um, uh, Harlem Nights. And yeah. while Nick Nolte was coming off of actually a hit, 
but it wasn't an action hit. It was uh, Three Fugitives. But he mm-hmm. had a couple bombs before that. I still say uh, Extreme Prejudice. What the fuck was America thinking by not going to go see maybe the manliest movie ever made? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. That, that That's a bummer to know that that was a, a, a flop because I, I love the ground that Extreme Prejudice walks on. Yeah. It's, it, it's always a competition in my head between what's manlier, that, or uh, Stone Cold. Yeah. I, I actually had the... Uh, uh, did the comparison between that and a uh, predator which one's the manlier movie <laughs> hmm. i don't know i never really i mean it's it's in my top 10 of manly movies but i never really thought of predator being one of the top tier you know it's always in my head the extreme prejudice and uh uh stone cold i don't know why yeah, ex- extreme prejudice uh, extreme prejudice is such a dude sweat movie yeah both movies feel like amounts of dude sweat they uh they feel like they're both made out of dried beef jerky there's no cellular uh, there's no film stock it's just jerky just the whole way bacon strips <laughs> uh one major difference though between this one and the first one is now nick nolte is not the main star and eddie murphy of course is the biggest star in the world at the time i think i, I don't know yeah. anybody else who was making above 10 million at this time and uh, a lot of it is he's gearing the story this time, uh, which he didn't do very often. Uh, but I think he did some interesting stuff with this, right? What he did this, Harlem Nights, uh, uh, Vampire in Brooklyn. I feel like there's another mm-hmm. one in there that he did some writing on. And uh, it's just sad that most of those movies flopped. I remember this cost a fortune because of the re-edits and, and last-minute uh, fixes it was like 50 million but it only made like 60 million so it was just, yeah. an, just another flop for all three of them but you're talking the summer of 1990 it's one of the biggest action movie years ever and yeah. this what went up against total recall and die hard 2 um a couple other big ones around this time the summer of 1990 was pretty tough yeah it wasn't as tough as the summer of 89 but it was a pretty tough summer. oh yeah 89 is legendary for just destroying franchises left and right <laughs> uh i love that we have kevin teague who um we only know is like an asshole like a ball busting half the time a villain but it's so funny because my mother's generation knows him from emergency is like one of the good you know the good guys and how he get recast his whole career <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I always remember him from this movie in particular. I know he was in Roadhouse and and a couple other stuff, but I always remember him as the prick from another Forty Eight Hours. Yeah, uh, Bernie Casey. Uh, looking, mm-hmm. I, in fact, this time I finally caught on. I've seen this movie about six times. I didn't even catch it with Bernie Casey till this time because of his voice, because he looks so wildly different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he definitely, you know, he's really buff in here, and he's got the gray. Uh, and uh, the goatee, so he's, uh, he's definitely unrecognizable from how you usually see him and stuff. The uh, I feel like a lot of his stuff was cut out too. There's a whole. I, I think first off, I think it's a little convoluted that they made up this story about while he's back in prison. Mm, oh yeah, yeah, that was definitely just some the big gobbledygook yeah the biggest weakness of this film is repeating too many moments from the first movie the roxanne moment him back in jail um it would have been nice if they just found themselves in different places and then you know instead of repeating the same thing as the first movie uh that's probably its biggest detriment yeah that was the thing in the sequel making back in those days do the same movie but different a lot of movies did that. Uh, Ghostbusters 2 did that. Uh, Die Hard 2 did that. 
uh, obviously Back to the Future 2 and 3 did that. Yeah, it's, you know. I think the rule is like halfway through the 90s, they start ditching the numbers and also replicating the formula. I mean, of course, some franchises still kept going like, you know, Final Destination's the same movie, just different cast. But, mm-hmm. but you know, you have to give people something fresh and new. And I think one of those big things is, uh, and it's given credit now, but at the time, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey was pissing people off. I remember walking out of the theater, people were upset because they weren't traveling around in time the whole movie. And I was like, yeah. "Yeah, but it's still a good movie. It's just different. It's it's a it's it is a sequel." <laughs> yeah, I, I remember as a kid uh, being disappointed by that, but uh, uh, as an adult, I now realize that Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is a fucking masterpiece of cinema. Yeah, it's and my favorite of, movie, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the greatest movies ever made, in my opinion. I, I love Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey so much. <laughs> um, of the action sequences in another forty-eight hours, which is your favorite? Um, there, there, there's a lot of great action in this movie. The the bus shootout, um, the the whole uh hotel shootout that ends in the porno theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The uh, my fourteen-year-old brain through. almost exploded when I saw that. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, busting through a kitten Natividad's titties. Um. But uh, I definitely got to go with the final shootout because I, I felt like it, it was incredibly stylish and well done. And yeah. also, it also shatters more glass than probably any movie in history. There's so much glass breaking yeah, in yeah. this goddamn movie. My favorite is the bus, but the, 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 the nightclub shooting is uh, the, the really close. But I just think the complications involved in the whole bus stunt was really impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also like how um, Reggie keeps altering the number of times the bus flipped. It was a, it was, it was seventeen times, and then it was twenty times. And then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I was wrong. This it was a, it was disappointing in America, but it was massive overseas. So yes, it cost fifty, but it made one hundred fifty-three. So I think we're good. Eddie Murphy's brand by this point is international for sure. Yeah. Who knew this would be like the bright spot for a long time in his career? Yeah. And, I, and it's really sad, though, because I prefer this version of him over the kiddie version of him. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I mean, he did have uh, Boomerang That's after true, this, true, yeah. which, was, which was... But then, yeah, then there was like the Distinguished Gentleman. Which I love. I love that movie. It made no money. Yeah. Um, uh, Vampire in Brooklyn, of course, you know, which was probably uh, seemed like the nail in the coffin for his career until the nutty professor came out a year right, later. it's like it totally saves that sadly metro which is like his well, that's his last action movie right like which one uh, metro is his last actual action film because uh the tower heist is kind of action comedy it doesn't really uh... um there was also um i believe uh uh i spy Oh, okay, okay. I'll give you that one. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's it's a little bit lighter on the action, but I'm yeah. but I miss this version of him, the Beverly Hills Cop version. You know, the Golden Child, the one that could yeah. be in serious situations, but also have some jokes in it. And I'm, I, I don't know if Beverly Hills Cop Four is ever actually going to happen. We keep hearing rumors of this. Yeah, I, I think he's just you know he he's being a bit of a perfectionist on it. You know, because he was disappointed about the turnout of uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3, which was another disappointment for him. Yeah, but that's a lot of his fault. He doesn't bother to yeah. give a, a performance. It's terrible. He clearly just showed up and goes, give me my money. Just let's go. 
Yeah, yeah. I think I think he was in like you know kind of a state of depression because of how his c- career felt like it was declining at that point. So he was just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, our second film is Blind Fury. Now, it all hopes on this planet for Paramount were with another forty-eight hours. <laughs> Sony didn't give a flying fart about Blind Fury. They dumped this. They absolutely just threw this away. I don't know if it's because... You remember how TriStar used to be uh, a pickup studio for other companies? Mm-hmm. I think it was what, Coca-Cola and CBS or something and some other company got together and they would just buy movies from other companies and half the time they wouldn't bother to give it much promotion. Caracol yeah. was one of their big dogs. You know, like They put all the money into Total Recall, but like Blind Fury is an Interscope production, which they weren't really, there wasn't a really a lot of weight behind their productions. It's not like they could force Sony to you know distribute widely. Plus, by this point, Rutger Hauer has faded, and I think it might be his best solo film. Am I wrong? Um, I uh, got to give it to Split Second, but uh, Blind Fury's right up there. Yeah, I'm not a huge uh, split second guy, mostly because it's just so. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm not hating on it. It's just something about the muddy look of it, and I think the end kind of seems. I feel like they reshot a bunch of the end. Something about it doesn't feel right. They did. They but, did. They did. They, uh, it was. It was the whole ending was reshot by another director. Oh, okay. Um, but with this one, I think the only weakness of this is the humor doesn't really work. I admire that what it's trying to do, but I feel like the jokes are like the tone of the jokes is what's off. Uh, I um I, I kind of disagree with that. I I, I, I the, the humor hit with me a lot. Maybe like the two uh, jackasses, uh, Nick Cassavetes and the other dude. Yeah. Is like uh, like uh you know the stereotypical dumbass henchmen and all that stuff. But uh, I like I like all the moments with the uh, Rucker Howard and Brandon uh, Call, like um. When, when, when uh, he feeds him the rock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's candy! <laughs> it's kind of hard. And then he spits it on him. <laughs> I, mean, I think the one scene where I kind of rolled my eyes is the part where uh, he hits the guy and he goes, what's wrong with you, blind? He goes, yeah, what's well, your excuse? But that part's fine. It's the reaction of the driver. I was like, what is this, Ernest? <laughs> this is way too cartoonish. <laughs> I, I feel you, I feel you. I was wrong, by the way. I didn't realize Interscope had produced so many hits right before this so they did have the the power to but they weren't locked in with any particular studio they had just come off of doing bill and ted uh cocktail three men and a baby and the revenge of the nerds movie so huh but they were yeah. weird. they're a weird company because they did like a gnome named norm and one of our favorites the first power eve of the destruction that's an odd company yeah, uh, I have, I have uh, fond memories of Eve of Destruction. I remember um, one time I was watching it. My father, uh, he had seen it before. And he thought it was a, a humongous piece of shit, <laughs> and just and he was like, "You like this movie?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I think it's good." And he was like, "Oh yeah, next time I see it on TV, I'm, I'll let you know." Like, "Hey, Rob, your movie's on Eve of Destruction." Like, so sarcastic. <laughs> I think we all have that with our family members, and they're just kind of like, you go, what? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But, you know, when I, was this, when I was this age, you know, I was 13 in 1990, I just wanted the adrenaline rush of things blowing up and people running around like lunatics. That's what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. The uh, but Blind Fury, I think, is... It, it's the second to last film for a very long time for um, Z- uh, Shokasagi. 
and I don't yeah. know why I, I almost said Zadoichi, but that's the that's what the fucking movie is. Um, <laughs> but um, I thought that was a really fun cameo. But it's between him and Randall Tex Cobb as the main villains, and they're a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Randall, Randall Tex Cobb is always such a joy when he appears in the movie. Like, and, and he he just uh, he's just so much fun in this one. You know, with, with his with his cigar that's just constantly uh, at the side of his mouth <laughs> throughout the entire production. <laughs> he's so great. He's so absolutely so great in the movie. Yeah, well, everything. Every time he shows up, I just you know he's in earnest. Uh, goes to jail. Uh, digs town. Um, of course, uh, uncommon valor. I think is where the first time I saw him. But he has this. He usually plays kind of a gross creature but uncommon valor is like the only one where treat him like a real human being who just a little bit odd and he has that balletic yeah. grace because he was a martial arts fighter and i think this is the only movie i know of where they utilize those skills at least a little bit yeah he, he looks he looks really clean in this movie too you know for for, for randall tex Con. right for considering how he was in raising arizona <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> looks most like, definitely looks like bigfoot's thumb <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and Rudger Howard just does a hell of a good performance. I truly believe that he's blind. He handles that sword uh, so well. And uh, just really good bouncing off the cast. We have Meg Foster. Um, uh, why does my brain do this? I think I'm starting to get old to the point where I can't. Terry, Terry O'Quinn. But who is the lady that's with him for most of the movie? The glasses. Oh, um, uh, is it Lisa Blount? Yeah, she passed, she passed away, right? Yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah, sadly. I thought she was great in the 80s. I feel terrible that I forgot her name. But, yeah. um... I, I always remember her from, um... Well, most people remember her from uh, Officer and a Gentleman, but I always remember her for, um... Uh, Prince of Darkness. Yeah, uh, Radioactive Dreams, I remember she was a big part of. But, mm -hmm. uh, kind of an underrated actress, but she's in so much of the 80s. And, um... Oh, Dan Buried! She's that nurse, right, that injects the needle, which is on the Blue Underground cover for... Do you remember that movie? Have you ever seen Dead Buried? No, no, I haven't. Oh, okay. Dead Buried is uh, a really creepy movie from the guys that uh, wrote Alien. Um, and uh, she's one of the villains in it. And she has a moment where this guy this guy is wrapped up in a bed because he's been severely burned. <laughs> she comes back to finish the job and she just takes a giant needle and rams it in his eye. Ugh. Damn. Yeah. Um, but uh, who's the main villain in this? I forgot his name. He's the one that goes, get me Br uh, Bruce Lee. And he goes, Bruce Lee's dead. Well, get me his brother. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy uh, in uh, Last his... Boy Scout. Yeah. Um, damn, his, his name is really escaping me right he now. He was but... on fucking uh, Walker, Texas Ranger forever, wasn't he? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, Noble Winningham. That's it. Noble Winningham. Why do I fucking... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember my own it. family members' names, but I remember this stupid thing. <laughs> 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 Terrible. Um, not my favorite Zadoichi movie, movie, though. I will say the 2000, was it 3, 2004 remake uh, is my absolute tops. Yeah. The uh, uh, third film that we're going to discuss. Now, I, I put this up on Twitter as, is this a horror movie? And I think it has a lot of the signatures of a horror film. It just happens to have martial arts in it as well. What do yes. you think? Does it count as a horror film? Yes, I absolutely uh, believe it does. You could take out the martial arts and the movie would still work. Yeah, it, in, in it has. It, well, first off, you have a guy who just came off of To Die For, not the Nicole Kidman, but the vampire movies, Darren Serafian. 
Then you have mm-hmm. David, Go- David Goyer, who had already been kicking around a little bit with some full moon pictures. And uh, you have the way the movie is shot, the tone of it. You have um, The Sandman, which has all of the signatures of one of the classic 80s serial killers. They have yes. his rules, his look, his style, and the nickname, of course. And it's all a murder mystery. People are getting killed. Um, and there's, you know, there's a story of the stealing of the organs. I mean, it's not a full-on, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Freddy, but it is definitely more like a, a psychological thriller with horror elements in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember posting on Twitter once about, uh, like, I, I wonder how Chuck Norris feels, because Chuck Norris attempted many times to do a, a action horror martial arts thing with uh, Silent Rage, Hero in the Terror, and Hellbound. And with like with limited success, and here comes Van Damme with a one and done martial arts horror movie and shit, and kills it. <laughs> yeah, this is in in uh, that was kind of a, a trend is when action heroes would try horror, it always failed. It always failed. Uh, Ten to Midnight, which I love as a grindhouse film, it didn't make any money. And this yeah. movie, now mind you, twenty two million now is nothing, but a three million dollar film debut for a studio an actual studio mgm and this makes what 22 24 i think yeah and uh wait no that was lionheart i think this made 16 but that's still a decent amount of money i'm gonna look that up actually because i don't want to get that wrong i don't know why i'm anal retentive about box office that's some weird ocd thing (laughs) that's so good (laughs) um but i just remember when this came out i was crazy for this i didn't really care for, i still don't i know i should hand in my action card right now i really don't care for bloodsport that much um mm. the only fighting one that i really like is lionheart um i thought cyborg was too weird and it dragged on at the end um and kickboxer was an almost the death warrant was the first fan damn movie that i bought that i watched on a regular basis and i fucking just loved it which is so weird because it's so unlike a lot of his stuff until like you know towards the end of his career when he started or you know his theatrical career when he started getting weirder and uh you know do like replicant and stuff like that yeah um i don't know like uh uh with with uh cyborg though i gotta say that the the, with the weirdness i mean it's albert pune so like it's it's granted that it's going to be yeah, a little yeah. weird. Well, I was 11 when I saw it too, so I wasn't prepared for it. And uh, it was the first time where I'd really seen like, you know, the you know decapitated head horrified me. I never wanted to watch it again. I was so young. I'd never seen. I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies. And that just turned me off. And I, I've tried to watch it over the last couple of years. I'm fine with it. Um, I still think the ending... Uh, his yelling gets on my nerves at the villain. But, oh, um, Fender? Yeah, I, I prefer part two. I, I really like Cyborg 2, even though that's not really a sequel. It's just a, what's it called Glass Shadow, and they just slapped the name on it or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, with this one, um, I just think the, the tension, the characters, everything finally gels for Van Damme, and this is really his breakthrough. Um, I looked, yeah. it, it did make only $16 million in America, but it made 46 internationally, which is weird because this doesn't seem like the kind of movie that would do well internationally because it doesn't have... You know, I mean, it's a lot of international movies at this time had to have like brighter colors and faster action and stuff like that and more comedic elements. This is a really dark film to be that successful. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Van Damme's uh, fan base, like, I mean, he was big in the States for a while, but he always had more popularity overseas. So it makes sense that uh, 
it, it did well over there. And, and I definitely agree with you. I think that this is the first movie, like out of all the ones he did, because before this, he was just martial arts guy. But this was the first one where he, he basically seemed to a, a audiences as a full-on action hero. Like, you know, that will lead to him rubbing shoulders, of course, with Schwarzenegger and Stallone and all those guys. Like, this one legitimized him as a true American action hero. Yeah, and also it's the first one to have not a well-known cast, but a lot of his movies were usually shot overseas or, you know, where they couldn't get a lot of people from, um, like, known American actors or mm-hmm. they were smaller productions. And this one, you have established actors. You have Robert Guillaume, uh, Benson, mm-hmm. fucking Benson, who's gold uh, to me. Yeah. I think he's, I think he does a very good job of completely subverting that image of him. And th- this is, yeah. I think this is his best performance. I love Benson, but this is his best performance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then also, of course, uh, the late, great Art LaFleur. Oh, we um, just lost him. I was just watching uh, uh, Air America, and he's also, he had a very busy 1990. <laughs> but yeah. uh, every time I think of him, I always think of ribbed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, to, to me, he'll always be McNulty from uh, Trancers. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love I love him in that. I just love Art Lafleur. Yeah, it was it, such a bummer. To the babe, yeah, but he lived a good long life. But he was in his eighties, right? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Uh, Patrick Kilpatrick. Now he had been around a little bit, but this is what I think most people know him from. I think he had just done Class of nineteen ninety, um, and a few other action films before this. But this right here, uh, Governor, yeah. a candidate, <laughs> Patrick Kilpatrick, <laughs> the scariest yeah. man to ever run. <laughs> for the democratic party i think <laughs> yeah the, the, the also the, to say that uh, patrick kilpatrick is probably my all-time favorite character actor uh i i love patrick kilpatrick uh like i i'll, I'll see i'll be looking at the credits of the movie I, I remember i was uh watching um looking for a movie to watch on amazon prime and uh it was this movie called hijack or the the last train something and it had jeff Fahey and ernie hudson and, oh okay and yeah, like, yeah oh, okay and and then uh, they had uh, Brent Huff, and I was like, ooh. And then they said Patrick Kilpatrick, and I was like, up, oh, I'm watching this shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remember the sidestep here, uh, Operation Delta Force. Mm-hmm. It wasn't for the longest time. I thought it was a continuation of the franchise. I thought they bought the rights. They shot that in whatever movie you're talking about. I can't remember what it's called. They shot them like back to back, and then sold them is is like a package deal but it, it, sometimes they feel like they belong together like it's it's operation delta force 2 <laughs> yeah 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 um uh, i love patrick Kilpatrick so much yeah, um so wakey wakey burke <laughs> yeah uh, um i was just talking to a buddy of mine uh aaron because he had just purchased a showdown uh oh right okay yeah yeah yeah, and I was like, "Oh, dude, you, this is one of my favorites. You're gonna love that." It's just, he's and Patrick Patrick is such a great villain in that. Uh, have you ever seen the Blu-ray of uh, Showdown from? Uh, no, I, I watched it on uh, Amazon when they were when they were promoting the Blu-ray. Um, why is there special features on or something? Yeah, where they interview him and the entire cast and like the the motivations and the the ideas he had to go onto that character. The, that man is fucking wild. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I don't like about that movie is your main character looks like he's thirty five. 
<laughs> well, yeah, that's most uh, uh, high school movies, you know. Yeah, that like, time, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they all look 35. Uh, Larry Hankin, who's more of a comedic actor, but I will always remember him as the the, the cigarette smoking gets covered in gasoline. He's the one who gives Burke all the information about the, yeah, yeah. the stolen uh, organs. It's, it's such yeah. a weird movie because the way it all lines up together is such. A, and then we have the story outside of the prison with uh, Josh Miller. Uh, yeah. And Cynthia Gibb together trying to solve the mystery. I just it's it's way more complicated than the Van Damme, the Van Damme movies we had seen before this. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, I I, that, that, I guess that's credit due to Goyer. You know what I'm saying? Because Goyer yeah. always had a bit more in the think tank when it came to writing movies. You know, the yeah. So and he he definitely brings the horror influence into it because you know he, like you stated he already been working a horror movie. But it's like yeah, it's such a you know, for being like what people perceive to be as a typical Van Damme movie, it's so much more complicated than that, you know, complex. You know, it is it, it just, you know, that's that's probably why I love it so much, you know, because it's just, it, it seems like a typical Van Damme movie, but it's not a typical Van Damme movie, yeah. you know? You can, you can tell, though, he must have had some sort of say in the editing of the final action sequence, because it has that signature chop-chop-chop kind of, yeah, uh, and, and the the yelling, <laughs> I still giggle. There's one moment that I giggle at in this, is when he's so angry that he just like flexes his muscles. He's like, yeah, and he gets yeah. hit in the face uh, with a wrench. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, the the come on. <laughs> if, I, if you notice, if you notice, there's a point in every Van Damme fight scene where he tells the bad guy, "Come on." Yeah. You well, know? And then there was a switching point where he would just go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> well, I'm looking at the the filmography of the cinematographer uh, Russell Carpenter, and yes. his stuff before this and uh, after is all horror. It's he has Soul Survivor, Lady in White, Cameron's Closet, Critters Two, the he had Perfect Weapon, uh, which you know is action, but Lawnmower mm -hmm. Man Two, Pet Cemetery Two, and then he goes into action and he starts working with Cameron and he does Hard Target, True Lies, Money Talks, Titanic. This dude jumped from death warrant to fucking titanic in just just a handful of years that's amazing yeah yeah he he was I always he was always one of my favorite cinematographers because i just like how um he shoots shit like everything is so goddamn stylish when like I, when i see his name i'm like oh i know i'm gonna get some really good looking visuals here you know yeah. well i'm also thinking dara seraphian i wish he was making more movies i don't think he's made a movie in yes. 20 years but there was a run there where he had he had a couple of those like small indie movies. Uh, but then he kind of got his name known for To Die For. Then there's Death Warrant, Gunmen. Come on, Gunmen. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think I think uh, Road Killers should not have been sent straight to video, and that it has a lot more potential than people treat it like it. it, it and then what Terminal Velocity? Well, that's more than oh, twenty yeah. years. That's a long yeah. time for a guy with that much skill to not have another film. Yeah, Ooh. Terminal. Terminal Velocity is like something that should have put him over because Terminal Velocity is such a highly underrated fucking, you know, amazing movie and shit. And the fact that uh, his career went nowhere after that is a goddamn yeah. shame. We uh, we went to the theater and saw that opening weekend and it was barren. It was absolutely empty. And we were like, okay, it's not like a masterpiece, but it, like this, there's like four people here on a Friday evening? What the hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah, most definitely. I hate stories like that. 
I, I remember relating one when I went to see Black Dog opening weekend, and oh. it was just like me, me and like two or three other people in the fucking theater, and it's like, oh god. But you we know really stuff like that. Patrick Swayze. Yeah, well, we're, we were confused because we saw Long Kiss Goodnight in a very, very packed theater opening night, and when we saw the box office was only nine million, we're like, what? That yeah. I, w- I would have guessed thirty with that kind of reaction. I mean, everybody went crazy for it, and it just—I don't know what happened. Yeah, I've I've had similar um, situations. Like uh, I remember going to see a knockoff opening weekend, and my theater was packed, and everybody was fucking going crazy for it. And then it just just fucking bombed, and it's just like, damn. All my friends were mad at me. My friends were so mad at me for because we were gonna go see Blade, and I was like, Blade will be out for months. It's a huge hit. Let's go see knockoff, and they're like. Okay, fine. <laughs> and then when it was over with, you're like, you asshole. We <laughs> should have just gone with Salt Blade instead. <laughs> no, but like, here, here's the thing. Like, it, it's amazing that a movie like Knockoff got released into like a major, uh, had a major release like that. So I, I, I would take that as a win because. You're never going to go see a movie like that yeah. play. Well, when the movie like, started having so much international flavor, you know, and, you know, they just happened to be uh, connected to a studio. Like, MDP was the production company. Any of their mm-hmm. movies that got into theaters, it was a fucking miracle, and they all bombed. <laughs> yeah. But it was kind of nice to see. But um, the one thing, I, I get why Darren Seraphine kind of struggled after this, because he signed with Dimension Pictures. Or, no, he was with Davis Films, and they had a release with Dimension. But Dimension never really put a lot of money into their movies for a while. Like, that first five years or whatever was kind of a struggle until they had all that screen money. And so, like, Gunmen uh, and, you know, Highlander uh, 3 and Fortress and stuff like that, all Christopher Lambert movies were all Davis, I think, productions. And they just barely got released. But Gunman is the one that needs to be found and released properly because my bootleg is not sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. I have two copies of it. And like it's just like, oh, God. Now, are yours in widescreen? It, it is not. Um, I was hoping that uh, when I bought, the, bought it the second time that uh, the, the movie gods would bestow a miracle on me and give me a widescreen copy of it. But nope. Oh, well, okay, I'll send you a copy. Um, but our mutual Ooh. friend, Dahlia, uh, apparently has an international release. Is that the one that you have? Is that in wide? No, no, it oh, is not. It's a oh, movie oh, shot in wide. It looks like, a, you know, it's shot like a spaghetti western. It's insulting. We're way off topic here. But it's, <laughs> it's our show. It's our show. Screw you guys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but we will wrap it up. Our last film is Navy Seals, a running joke for many, many years, especially because of Clerks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yep. clearly another Top Gun wannabe uh, this, yes. the, the music, the way they shoot it the way that they're kind of reckless fools the way they are in Top Gun what I think saves this film and I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that a lot of it is kind of frivolous and it doesn't really have much of a focus but I think that the performances uh, by Dennis Haysbert and yes. uh, Bill Paxton, I think, are... And Bill Paxton's not in it as much as you want him to be, but I think they're both excellent. Des Haysbert clearly is the winner in this one. And spoilers, killing him halfway through the movie, I think, was a huge mistake. Yeah. I, yeah. Because that right there, if it was going to be a franchise, you could literally make him the lead. Um, especially if it, you, know, you couldn't afford Charlie Sheen anymore. But I think that final action sequence is amazing it is a well-designed truly intense wild ride and like the dirty dozen you have no idea who's going to make it to the end 
and I thought that was astounding. I just wish the rest of the movie was like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree with you that this is basically made to capitalize off the success of Top Gun. Um, definitely, uh, Charlie Sheen is definitely supposed to be like a maverick type. So, it's, although he's a, he's a little more buck fucking wild than than Maverick. I like basically his introduction scene is him jumping off the jeep, off the bridge into the water below, and it's like. This motherfucker's nuts. Yeah, like I like I like how even Dennis Hesler says like that. You crazy motherfucker. <laughs> it, it, well, the thing is, he also has to. Well, I guess in a way, Dennis Hesler's character has to die for him to learn to be responsible for once. But you kill the only black guy <laughs> again. The, the rule yeah. of this is just ridiculous during this time period. That every black guy just got killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most definitely, like. Uh, the most frivolous uh, example of that being a Leviathan. No, we've discussed this. It makes me so mad. I guess it wasn't in the original cut that he wasn't supposed to die and they had to reshoot it or shoot or something, or is that just rumor? I, I think it was in the script that he was supposed to live, and they decided at the last moment that uh, to kill him off, which he was not happy about. Fuck no, man. He really got the shaft for so long. Yes. <sighs> um, so... This was, I think, the debut of Chuck... I'm not going to say his name right. Chuck Pfarrer, <laughs> who was an ex-Navy SEAL who became like kind of a go-to writer for action movies for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. Um, he did a Hard Target after this, and uh, he had a hand in uh, doing... A, well, he was There's a creator, Jackal. but... Uh, yeah, um, also a Virus. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, he was kind of hooked up with uh, Dark Horse. Well, he had done Dark Man. I don't know if he did that after Navy SEALs or before. Uh, yeah, they, and... they, they were... It, it, um, it's my guess that Dark Man was probably done first because it was, um, I guess, like a fairly big budget at that time or mid-budget movie. So um, compared to Navy SEALs, like, you, you wouldn't happen to know what was the budget of Navy SEALs, would you? It's 21. I just looked. Yeah. Compared to what was eighteen? Well, maybe it was eighteen yeah. for uh, Dark Man, but you see it all on the screen. See, I I don't yeah. know how much Charlie was going for at this time. He was just coming off of Wall Street, probably when he signed this contract, and Michael Bean was still kind of hot. But you really don't see it on the screen until the very end. Is that a set? Did they build that little town, or is that real? Um, I w I would like to believe it, it was real. The, it was like a real location. The if, if it was a set, then God bless him because that shit looks amazing. Yeah, because that's that what I was wondering. If that's where the money went because I don't see $21 million on the screen. When you look at Dark Man, it costs $3 million less and it's just absolutely bananas in its style and its action sequences. Mm -hmm. You wonder where it went. But, you know, at this time, Orion was having the worst year of their career. They had years that were, you know, building up of debt. And they had all these big swings in 1990. And I, if I remember correctly, they didn't have another hit for the whole year until Dances with Wolves. But by that point, their line of credit was way gone and they were horribly in debt in the banks and with the bank or whatever, and they had to go into bankruptcy. Remember when they had, they had all those movies done, but they sat on the shelf for like two and two and a half years? Yeah, yeah, particularly RoboCop 3, yeah. which should have stayed on the shelf. Yeah, I, I'm okay with it. I don't hate it as much as I, I used yeah, to. I, 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 yeah, I just remember that uh, you're, you're a fan of that one. Yeah, um, it's okay. You know, there's some elements that I like, but there's also some elements I don't like of part two. The, the only perfect one is that first one, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most but, definitely. But we this could is, definitely agree on that. Yeah, Louis Teague uh, is the director of this, jumping up. I think, the what was the last thing he did? Wasn't he Cat's Eye or something like that? He had no done um, something before this. 
Yeah, like I'm not. Even oh, I know what it was. I know what it was. What? It was what, that Cujo? Collision Course movie with oh, Jay Leno. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, that definitely was a career killer. Yeah, but then he did this in Wedlock, which I think is underrated. But I think that was an HBO movie, and then that was it. His career was over with. Oh yeah, that's uh, I totally forgot about Wedlock. That's a good fucking movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it just seemed like this was kind of the end for a lot of people involved, except for Charlie Sheen, because I don't remember Joanne Whaley Kilmer being a lead in anything. Rick Rosevich started going into directed video stuff. Um, Michael Bean was now uh, cast as like a support, unless it was a directed video movie, and uh, and like yeah, that was a bummer. Yeah, that was a bummer because because Michael Bean was always such a reliable actor, and I think probably due to the commercial disappointment of The Abyss. And uh, this, uh, you know, like, I, I guess to most people, it seemed low-rent uh, Navy SEALs. And then, like, yeah, you could see the, like, the decline. Start well, now. yeah, then oh, Time yeah. Bomb. Time Bomb barely got released. Yeah. And then also, he was in Deadfall. Oh, yeah. Is, K2. Know. That didn't make any money. Wow, he really yeah. just, yeah. But he's he's a really good actor, but I don't see him anymore. I guess he's making his own movies. That's He wants control over his own stuff now. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Oh, he's in The Mandalorian. Cool. I haven't seen the second season or third season or whatever we're on now. I've only seen the first one. I think I think it's it's going on its third season uh, as of as of now. What is your favorite of the four? Uh, definitely has to go to Death Warrant. Yeah. Same. Although it, it it it's it's you know, um, it it's not that the definitely Death Warrant is number one, but. Uh, another 48 Hours is like right underneath because I really loved Another 48 Hours. I used to watch Another 48 Hours constantly <laughs> when I was younger. Like I, I definitely had I had to get my own uh, version of the VHS because my father was getting tired of me watching his. So I had to buy my own. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, the only one I ever owned on VHS was Death Warrant. I uh, I recently got it on Blu-ray and I think I sold it to you. Did I? Did yes, I yes, you okay. did. And then uh, I got tempted again, so I went and found the old, and uh, you know the other cut that Fox put out with the silver cover. Yeah, that's I got that for like four bucks, so I'm good. I'm good. It doesn't look anywhere nearly as good as your version, and it doesn't have all the special features. But hey, yeah. it'll do. <laughs> I, I I also uh uh I I have uh the VHS which uh I inherited from my grandmother after she passed away. I inherited her her entire VHS collection which she still had and uh it was Death Warrant was in there which is the the tape I used to watch all the time like every time I went to her house um I would put on Death Warrant. Was your grandmother an action junkie or is that just a fluke? No, no, no. Like I could show you like grandma had a lot of fucking action movies. She had Stone Cold in there. Oh, uh, you, should, you should get photos of this and share it on uh, on Twitter. What's your Twitter? <laughs> yeah, it, uh, of course it's uh, at the Center Drunking. Um, the you know where I, I I post regularly. That's the most. The, if anybody's ever looking for me, you can find me on uh, Twitter as the Center Drunking. Yeah. We both basically abandoned Facebook. I can't. Yes, I yes, can't. We did. I only use it for Messenger. I can't stick to that shit anymore. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, we were part of our little action Twitter group. I think we're. I think we're pretty supportive of each other. I, I've never really yeah. seen an argument. Whereas film Twitter itself <laughs> can be pretty fucking toxic, and I want yeah, nothing oh, to do yeah. with it. But action Twitter is our little corner where we all just have fun. Um, yeah, yeah, most definitely. And uh, what I love is that we have our own niches. And none of us shame each other or get irritated with it or whatever. 
and you guys like get me to into movies that I've never even heard of before, and then I try I kind of remind you of stuff that's kind of under the radar from like 20, 30 years ago, which which is fun about doing this show is get you to bring up some stuff that maybe people forgot about. Yeah, I re- I remember uh, uh, you and Mike having a. Uh, uh, a nice uh, uh, conversation thread when y'all was talking about the career of uh, who was it, Joel Solison? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, the guy who ran Overseas Film Group and uh, like three other companies, Neo Logic and uh, Neo Motion and Logic or something like that. Joel, Joel, I don't know how to say his name, Joel Solison, but yeah, that yeah. dude, uh, that dude's connected to a lot of really interesting independent films, and I have no idea whatever happened to him. Yeah, uh, Mike was it. Uh, Mike came out of that conversation like, like he wants to do like either a podcast or like an episode detailing the career of that guy. Yeah, we should find him, see what he's doing. Maybe you guys could interview him for your show. And what's your show? Uh, of course, uh, the Cinema Drunkies. We've rebranded as the Cinema Drunkies. Uh, we we still love and will continue to do action movies, but me and Mac wanted to branch out and do other movies uh, too. We've just released. Uh, we have already released two episodes. Uh, old, aka the beach that makes you old, uh, which is which is what we have to refer to it. We can't refer to it as just old. It has to be referred to as the movie about the beach that makes you old, and uh, the the Green Knight, which we just uh, our just most recent released episode and uh yeah we got some good stuff coming down the pipeline so stay tuned for that yeah if you want more current stuff definitely go with his um his podcast of course you want to go the retro stuff we usually we're going chronologically on this if you've never listened to the show before we're starting we started in 1980 uh and we're in 1990 now and just keep on trucking uh yes. twitter at now i know it's called hit rewind podcast but still stuck under the old name which was at retro rocket entertainment um but that is it. Thank you very much for this episode, Rob. And uh, we're going to head on out. Aren't you saying goodbye? Say goodbye, Rob. Oh, so, bye, everybody. God, I'm going to guilt him. I'm not going to cut this out so it's awkward and weird like always. <laughs> <laughs>